So I was reading the other day, um, and Ephesians chapter 1 is just full of uh, the blessings we have in Christ. So I want to read through that with you, uh, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we're going to read several facts this morning, and you need to hear them so that you can believe them. So this morning, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now I'm not asking you to examine yourself and see if this is true. That would be irrelevant and not needed. This is true whether you believe it, have experienced, agree with it, or anything. So you, in Christ, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. English is always hard for me, but could you give me some clarification on what you think every means? Because that's what I think it means too. Every spiritual blessing. Not a few, not part of them, not occasionally. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then moving on. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now this is always special to me to know that I'm chosen. Because I know it's going to be hard looking at me. But when I was in grade school kid, I was short and fat. And slow. And you know how on the playground, the kids pick the kids? I was usually part of a package deal at the end. I'll take Tony if you take those two. That kind of deal, right? You had to be chosen because that's the way it works. But to know that the creator of the world chose me. He said, I'll take that one. He's mine. He can be on my team. I want him. I want her. I want you. You have been chosen. Now chosen for what? To be holy holy and blameless in God's sight. Holy and blameless in God's sight. When God looks at you, you who are in Christ, what does he see? He sees holy, he sees blameless. Moving on. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So predestined don't get all caught up in some theology thing it just means God said it was going to happen this way that those of us he chose and sees us as holy and blameless he then adopted us as sons some of you were adopted the rest of you were stuck with your birth parents 
right? To be adopted means you were chosen. Again, I'll take that one. That one can be in my family. That's what God said about me and you. I'll adopt them in. As sons. The Bible talks about sons because in in that culture, sons received an inheritance. Daughters got married. Sons got an inheritance. That's why it's key that we're sons, all of us, genderless. We're sons because we get an inheritance from our father. Because we've been adopted as sons. There aren't second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. There are only sons. That's who we are in Christ. Now, notice it was done in accordance with his pleasure and will. This makes God happy and it's what he chose to do. I, our enemy just twists these messages all the time. But you know what he tries to tell us is that God begrudgingly lets us in. He doesn't want to. He kind of holds his nose and lets us pass. It's not true. It's in accordance with God's pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace. Which he has freely given us and the one he loves. Glorious grace has been given to us. Um, I know it overwhelms me as well. Moving on. In him... In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So in Christ we have redemption. Being redeemed. Means that we were in the trash pile and we were snatched out of that and said, no, no, this one's valuable. This one's mine. Redeemed. I now matter. I have purpose and significance. I'm treasured. I'm no longer junk. And with that comes the forgiveness of sins. Now, I know most of you have been around for a long time, been to church for a long time, and you're not hearing anything new, fresh this morning. I get that. But I hope that the Holy Spirit speaks something new and fresh to you about what this truth really means. We all know forgiveness of sins. Right, right, check. My sins are forgiven. Got it. Okay, can we move on? Uh, No, wait a minute. Do you understand what forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins means? The wages of sin is what? Death. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what it requires, the penalty for that act that all of us has done, is that somebody had to die. Enter Jesus into the scene, who says, imagine a courtroom, I'm the defendant, the judge is up here and says, Tony, you've been found guilty and sentenced to death. Jesus, my advocate, jumps up and says, Give it to me, judge. I'll pay the price. I'll die in his place. That's what forgiveness means. And here's a question I have for you. Do you think that Jesus' death on the cross, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection is sufficient to 
pay for what you've done wrong. I know we're in church, I know it's a Sunday school answer, and the answer, of course, is yes. Let me tell you how you can really answer that question. When you confess your sin to God, and He forgives you of that, are you still covered with guilt and condemnation? After you've sinned, and after you've uh, confessed and repented, you still have condemnation? What that means is, you don't think in your heart of hearts that the price Jesus paid was sufficient. And that you somehow have to add to that by being contrite or making restitution. Which you cannot. Jesus paid the price for your sin, my friends. You cannot pay it. After confession and renouncement of our sin, the next thing that comes is grace and healing and joy that you have been forgiven. Some of you carry sins around for decades. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ is sufficient. You have received the forgiveness of your sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. To get a clear picture of what lavished means, when I have mashed potatoes, and then I put corn over that, and then I put that white gravy over the whole thing, that's what it looks like to lavish something, right? God lavished His grace on us. Not a little dab, not a little dip. It's all over the place. God's grace has been lavished on us. Moving on. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to me and to you the mystery of His will. This does not say this will be done. This says it has happened. You now know the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure. The things that He proposed and purposed in Christ to do. Now, there is a future. And all these things will reach their fulfillment... And at the renewal of all things, he'll bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Today, those who are in Christ are unified and have unity. Those who are outside of Christ have chaos and are at war. But in the end, all things will be brought to unity. In him, moving on, verse 11, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. The short version of this is, this world is messed up, and God is still in control, and he's able to use all the things and all the tragedy and sin and chaos of this world. He still works it out for the purpose of his will. So that we, who are in Christ, would be for the praise of his glory. So Satan intends harm and destruction for you. Jesus comes in and restores that mess to the praise and glory of God. 
So what Satan meant for harm, God turned into good for his praise. Now this does not mean and does not say that the things that happened to you were good. They weren't good. But what God makes come out of them is good. To the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Are you in Christ? The things that we're talking about are true for those who are in Christ. Can you be in Christ? Oh yes. Hear the message of truth. Believe the gospel of salvation. Accept the gift of God through Jesus Christ. And then, verse 13, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you believed, you received the Holy Spirit. A seal, like a king's ring on a, on a contract. Guarantee by the creator of the universe. The Holy Spirit who is in me and is in you is our deposit. Guaranteeing that I will receive my inheritance. When the redemption of those who are God's possession. The day that is to come. The day of the Lord. To the praise of his glory. So what did we learn? Let's go to the next one. <laughs> How about the next one? <laughs> he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us. He made us holy and blameless in His sight. His love for us made Him adopt us as sons. He has freely given us His grace. He lavished it on us. He redeemed us through Jesus' blood. He forgave our sins through Jesus' blood. He has made known the mystery of his will to us. He chose us for the praise of his glory. He gave the Holy Spirit to us as a guarantee that we are his. He will include us when all things are redeemed. When all things are made new. These are the things that we just read in the first part of Ephesians chapter 1. These are the things that are true of those who are in Jesus Christ. And um, it's, it's interesting, but I think there's some of you here who are asking this question. So what? I know, see, in church we don't ask questions like this. It's out of church that we ask questions like this. And we ask questions like this by the way we live. You received every spiritual blessing? Because what I see in here is people who don't have what they need. They're always in want. Things aren't working out. Or, um, he chose us. Well, I'm all alone and nobody loves me. Or he made me holy and blameless in sight. Well, then why am I so full of accusation and guilt and condemnation? His love predestined us as adoption for son. I don't even think God likes me today. Um, 
He's freely given us His grace. Why is my life such a mess? He's made known the mystery of His will. I don't even know what to do today, let alone how to, how to live and what to go on tomorrow. Forgiveness of sins? Yeah, I know. He says He loves me. But there's no way He likes me or wants to be around me. Chosen for the praise of His glory? I don't do anything for God's kingdom or His glory. None of this matters. The Holy Spirit? I can't even understand the Bible when I read it. Hear yourself in any of these comments? Because I hear all of us in these comments at time to time. And so, I think some of us, when we read through this list of Ephesians 1, of who we are in Christ, we treat it like we treat the uh, periodic table of elements. It's interesting. Right? It's nice to know. It's good information. It doesn't have any impact on my life. I've never used it. But it's, it's nice to know. And I think a lot of us approach God with that way. Like we're learning information. Like we come to church to learn something. And I know that you need to learn something. But that's not why we're here, is to learn something. You can do that at school. Others of you take this list a little further and recognize it's true of those who are in Christ... And for somebody like you, Tony, not me, doesn't cover me. I'm not that. That's not. I wish that was so. I would like it to be true. That's not me. But then for a few, this is true truth about who they are. They don't go to their diary or go to the mirror or go to the input from their family and friends to find out who they are. They come to the Word of God, the Creator of the universe, to find out who they are. Who are you really? Are you what you say you are? Or are you what God says you are? For some, when they read this list, they say, that's me. That's who I am in Christ. So what determines which group you're in? Good fortune? Some people just have time to think about the kingdom of heaven and the, the mind to do and others are, I'm too busy just trying to make God happy to even think about, leave me alone, I'm too busy trying to be good to get to know God. That's the Christian way. Quick, jump to the end of the epistles. Give me the list of the things I'm supposed to do. I don't have time to read the first chapters. Jump to the end so I know what to do. Right? It's not the way. Is this important? Does this matter? These things of who I am in Christ? Yeah, it matters. Because the next screen says, you will never be able to live in a way that is inconsistent with what you believe. Do you struggle with your Christian life? Struggle trying to do the things you know that God wants you to do? It's not your actions that are the problems, my friends. It's what you believe. It's what you believe that will determine what you do consistently. Otherwise, you're here today and there tomorrow, tossed to and fro. Oh, I wish I could stop doing this. 
Um, see, many of us have given our enemy a real advantage. Uh, we've given him a foothold or a stronghold so that he can climb the wall and breach the castle of our heart. And we do that when we agree with things our enemy says instead of things that God says. When we agree with our enemy, gives him a place he can climb a little higher. And he owns that ground and he'll keep it. Right? Agreements. Mental strongholds that we've given to our enemy. When we say things like, I wish I would not worry. I don't like that I worry, but I, I just worry. Or, I'm just so mad. Or, I'm not able to forgive. All of those things, and many other things like them, are places where we give Satan the foothold. And look, friends, he loves that. And he will rule your heart from that place because you allow it. It's time to tear those places down. But we must discover what they are and eliminate them. And so, you in? You want to get rid of them? Would you give your brothers and sisters in Christ permission to shine the light on agreements you've made? See, they, they pop out in our conversation. We just make all kinds of declarative statements as we talk that aren't true. And would you give each other the permission to say, uh, Tony, I think you've made an agreement with our enemy there. That's not true, brother. Would you let people say that to you? Would you give them permission? And would you have the courage to say that to someone else? So, first things. Our value number one here is we believe in biblical authority. These things we read from Ephesians chapter 1, they are not up for debate. We can, we can argue about the words and the definitions of some things and what this means and what that means and predestination and all that kind of stuff. Fine, that's a great exercise. Knock yourselves out. Have a great time. But the truth of what we read here is not up for debate. These things that we read and listed, those are true. If you're in Christ, those things are true. Can you start there? By saying, I believe those things are true. I might be jacked up, but those things are true. Let's start there. We don't need to go down the list and argue each one back and forth. No need in that. Those things are true. Um, if you are in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, it's a whole other story. Christ says, come. Come to me. Remain in me. Follow me. If you're not in Christ this morning, the door's open. Now, I want to be full disclosure. Many will tell you that if you come to Christ, your life will get better. And I'll agree with that if you change your measuring stick of how you measure if life is better or not. Because you will have life to the full and you will have freedom, but you will suffer in the name of Jesus. So don't come lightly, but come on. Jesus has life. It's available. 
So, review that list. You, go home and read Ephesians chapter 1. If you go down through that list and you say any of those things that you cannot say, that's true about me. I am that. That's me. Make a list of those things that you're pushing back on, that you're diminishing, or that you're saying isn't right. Make a list. It's a great place to start to identify the strongholds you've made. Then we can begin to address those. Jesus is changing you from the inside out. He's giving you a new heart. The, the Holy Spirit is now bound to your spirit and you are spiritually alive. And you are being renewed day by day by the renewing of your mind. That's happening. Jesus is involved in that. I am not able to change my heart. If I were, Jesus died for nothing. So I know some of you are very strong-willed and good people. And are say, alright, I'm going to buckle down and change these things. And good luck to you. But please stop quickly. Acknowledge you can't do that. And invite Jesus to do it instead. Where it's lasting and real and has life. But Ephesians doesn't stop with that list. It also tells us what to do. What we need. So in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You want to help one another with this? Pray for each other. Now we spent several weeks talking about how to pray and what to pray. And so when it says to pray for each other, I hope you all now know it does not mean to say, and God be with Tony. God is with Tony. I don't need you to ask God to be with me. Okay? So the question is, what do we pray? Because the answer to that question matters. But I have another question for you about this prayer when you're praying for me and praying for each other. How long should we do it? Remember Elijah, when it rained, he prayed eight times. Why did he stop praying? He saw the results of his prayers. So how long do you pray for each other? Until you see the change in the person that needs to be there because of Jesus. That's how long. And what attitude do we pray with? Alright, you know me, I try to be honest every chance I get. Usually we pray for each other because you annoy me. And I'm tired of you. Can't you do it like me? That's not the right attitude to go into this prayer. What's the attitude to go into this prayer? Thankfulness. Giving thanks for you. Look, I know we annoy each other. I know that. It's the way we're created and the way we're made. That when everybody does it my way, life is good. When everybody doesn't do it my way, I'm put out. I understand. You're the same way. We need to change our hearts towards each other. Our hearts for each other need to be the love of Jesus. So, these people you have trouble with, pray this. Jesus, I break all of these relationships that I have with this person. All of their stuff is their stuff. All of my stuff is my stuff. 
Let the only thing that remains between the two of us is the love of Jesus. Nothing else. No history. No requirements. No validation request. No manipulation. Only the love of Jesus. And pray for each other. So verse 17, Paul told us, told us what he prayed. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I wish I'd have known what this verse meant back in like 1972. Could have changed my whole life. Because you know what I did for like 30 years? I tried to live like Jesus. Which seems like a really good goal, doesn't it? It's just impossible to do. I can't live like Jesus. I can't mimic him. I don't have the ability to... Well, um, I do a little, right? That's the problem with it. It kind of works. But the truth is, it took me 30 years to get to the end of that nonsense. To find out that that wasn't true. What's this verse say I should have done? I should have known God better. What's the goal of church? To know God better. Along the way, we learn things about God... And that's interesting. But the reason we learn things about God is as we tell the stories of who God is and what He's done, it's so that we may know God better. But look, you're handicapped because of your little puny brain and unbelieving heart. So God has sent something to help us called the Spirit of Wisdom and revelation. Remember what they used to say about the twelve apostles? Where'd these guys learn all this? They're just fishermen. Well, here we are, a bunch of chuckleheads. And what do we know? We know the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. We know him intimately and in that we can call him Daddy. Because the spirit of wisdom and revelation works in us to reveal God so that we may know him better. And if you hope to have any lasting change in your life and the way that you live and think and feel and emote, the answer is this. Know God better. If you're going to strive for anything in this life, strive to know God better. Why do we spend time singing songs and worshiping Jesus and God while we sit here together? Why do we do that? Because that's when God reveals himself to us. So we know him better. Through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what do we pray for each other? I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation comes on you and reveals God to you so that you may know him better. It is the knowing God that will change your actions because it is what you believe that determines what you do. The next verse. I pray that the eyes of your heart 
may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So, pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and pray that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened, so that we can see. And what are we going to see? The hope which he has called us to. I, I don't often know that we understand what this hope really is. Yes, there is a future hope of everything being made new. And that is true and real. It's absolutely true. But there's also hope for right now. Life and freedom. Many of us live a life of uh, sin, wash, rinse, repeat, right? Do it over and over and over and over and over and over. And Jesus says you should be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. You don't have a license to keep on sinning. It's not normal for those in Jesus Christ to continue to sin like they have for years and years and years. That's not normal. We accept it. We just want to get our sin down to a manageable level where it's not causing much chaos in life and then we'll ride it out there. That's not the gospel of the coming kingdom. That is not the hope for which we've been called. We have the riches of his glory and glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you know how much power is available to you? You know one of the things that keeps undermining and cutting our power out is our willingness to sin and continue to sin. We always pray to be one with God and then, then we sin and causes a big black eye in the middle of it. And, and I understand God forgives that sin and His grace is lavished on us and restores us. But not so that we can continue in that. So that we'll be renewed and changed with incomparably great power for us who believe. Power for us who believe. And continuing on, this power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What kind of power do we have? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You think that might be a significant form of power? I think so. It's the same as his mighty strength. Do you know you have power? Did you know this? It's true. You have it if you're in Jesus Christ. And God placed... Verse 22, all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is head over everything in every way. I'm never alone. I'm never without purpose. I'm never without direction. I'm never without grace. I'm never without power. Jesus is there over all.
God placed all things under his feet. Everything under Jesus' feet. And that will come to pass. Right now there's a battle going on. But for those of us who are in Christ, we're under his feet. He's been appointed to be head over us and for everything of the church. So what did, what did we learn here? Pray for each other with thankfulness and love. Receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know God better. We seek Him. With an enlightened heart, we see the hope that we have. And the hope is that we are His holy people with a glorious inheritance and we have His incomparably great power. And Jesus is above all forever. Just true? There's no doubt it's true. Now the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe these things in your heart? Not your head. I know you know them. And I know you uh, uh, appreciate the Bible and what it says and you value it. And that's not what I'm asking either. What I'm asking is, what's in your heart? What do you believe in your heart? What strongholds have you given the enemy? Those are the places to tear down with the great power we have in the Holy Spirit. That the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would see the hope we have, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would reveal these things to us. My friends, we are holy and blameless in God's sight. Now we should live that way. It's available. It's the joy we have, the slavish grace that's been put on us. It's what's available to you. And so I started off by saying, what are you doing this summer? Maybe you need to get your heart refreshed and recharged a little bit. Maybe you need to go sit in some grass somewhere and look at some water or watch some wheat wave or some corn tassel or watch some clouds or some lightning off in the distance and ask God what he thinks about these things in you. God, what is it in me that disagrees with this? Why is it there? What is it? Jesus, heal my broken heart. Set me free. That I can be who you've created me to be. We're all on the journey of sanctification of working through this. Everybody here is working through this. Let's, let's go. Let's all work through it faster. Alright, let's get there. It's the offer. It's available. It's what we have in Jesus. Jesus, um... I'm often overwhelmed by what you've done and the impact that it has on me and all of us who are believers in you. I truly am a new creation filled with your Holy Spirit holy and blameless powerful Jesus when I look in my heart, I often see unforgiveness and doubt. And I confess that to you. And I renounce that. Your words are true, not the words of my enemy. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Shine your light on those places where I doubt, don't believe, or just reject you.
I choose you above all things. You are my everything. And it is in you that I have my hope and my life and my very being. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.